Uh, with that, good morning, everyone. My name is Frank. I'm so glad that you are here with us today. We're continuing our series called Living Between Dreams. Last week, if you weren't here, just catch you up real quick. Um, we talked about how God is a God who brings restoration. And the first way that we saw that is through relationships. Um, as we read the story of Joseph in Genesis, you cannot have a more messed up family than what Joseph had. His dad stole um, his brother sold Joseph into slavery. He then took advantage of his daughter-in-law like messed up family. But it was as we see God bring restoration, there's a moment where they're all reunited again, and then God would birth his nation out of that family. God is a God who brings restoration. Today we're going to talk about how sometimes living between dreams is where we may feel like God is leading us or calling us somewhere, or maybe just personally, you have dreams about where your life would be, and then now it looks nothing like that. Maybe it was a decision that you made that sidetracked you. Maybe it was something that happened to you. Maybe it was just circumstances. The reality is we all make plans, and yet life often doesn't go according to plan. Right now, I'm in a season of my life where every, every plan I make is completely disrupted. I have two little kids, and so my wife and I will be like, hey, let's go here today. And so we change one kid's diaper, and we feed the other one, and we're ready to go. And then the other one needs their diaper changed. The other one needs to eat. And sometimes this will repeat for like an hour, and it gets to the point where you're like, you know what? It's just easier to stay home today. And for me, this is especially difficult because I am a planner to the max. I have a daily planner where everything is color-coded dependent on when it needs to be done. The job that it's for, um, each day has a different color. There's boxes to check because I feel productive when I check them. And so for me, um, maybe I'm OCD a little bit, but when my plans get disrupted, it completely blows up everything. And for you today, maybe you can relate to that a little bit. What plans have you made that didn't work out? Maybe you've graduated college and you thought you would find a job easily and you realize it's not as easy as you thought. Maybe you got married and you thought that this would bring everything you were looking for, but then you realize there's tension. Maybe you thought that following Jesus was going to be easy and then you're into it and you realize it's not as easy as I thought. Maybe you were called into ministry at some point, but then life happened and you got derailed from there. Maybe God revealed himself to you and yet today you're barely clinging on to your faith. Often this is from something happening in our life that just either gets our attention or derails us a little bit. Have you ever experienced a crisis in your life? You've been mistreated. You've got the raw end of the deal. And because of that, you find it difficult to maybe fully believe that God is actually going to work still. If that's you today, I would say you're living between dreams. And I just want to say... We often are there. Following Jesus is often a pattern of taking a step, not sure he meets it, and then we take an, and we're often in the space of God continuing to work and move. But in that, how do we stay faithful? How do we keep hope? Especially in a day, right, living the dream is a phrase we say all the time. Um, especially here, it's the sarcastic, half-natured, like, how are you today living the dream? Meanwhile, I'm dying inside and I hate everything about my life. And yet, living the dream, it's great. Um, the place I work uh, is kind of sad. It's a dying company. No one shops there anymore. And so we kind of just sit around all day and we all walk in. And we're like, how are you living the dream? We work here. Um, it's 
It's a sarcastic thing, and yet this has kind of taken root in all of our hearts. But today, again, we're taking a look at the life of Joseph and just some things to know as we head into this. Joseph was 17. He was a shepherd. He was the favorite son of his father. He was given a really fancy coat that he could wear around and say, look at me, I have this, I don't. And the crazy part is, is he was actually the 11th son, so that means there were 10 kids older than him. Um, And so as this is happening, as he's being favored, his brothers behind the scenes are brewing and steaming. A hatred for Joseph continues to build up and build up. And then Joseph, in his pride and overconfidence, says something that probably wasn't the smartest thing. He has a dream where his brothers are going to bow down to him. And so he goes to them and he brags about it. Hey, guess what? God gave me this dream. You're going to bow down to me. Now, if you have siblings or maybe you just have friends and they came and essentially said, hey, I am better than you. You're going to bow down to me at some point. No one will be happy about that. And so naturally, his brothers get super mad, they sell him into slavery, and the rest of the story takes place. You might laugh at that, but they were actually going to kill him, but one brother was like, you know, let's not kill him, let's just sell him into slavery, that sounds a little bit better. And it shows the hatred in his heart, in their heart towards him. Joseph is living between dreams. God speaks to him and says, there's going to be a point where your brothers will bow down to you. He begins to live in it, maybe with a little bit of pride, and we're going to read what happens to him from it, and we pick up the story in Genesis 39. It says this, when Joseph was taken to Egypt by the Ishmaelite traders, he was purchased by Potiphar, an Egyptian officer. Potiphar was captain of the guard for Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. The Lord was with Joseph, so he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. Potiphar noticed and realized the Lord was with Joseph, giving him success in everything he did. This pleased Potiphar, so he soon made Joseph his personal attendant. He put him in charge of his entire household and everything he owned. From the day Joseph was put in charge of his master's household and the property, the Lord began to bless Potiphar's household for Joseph's sake. All his household affairs ran smoothly, and his crops and livestock flourished. So Potiphar gave Joseph complete administrative responsibility over everything he owned. With Joseph there, he didn't worry about a thing except what kind of food to eat. A couple things that we're going to notice that we see in Joseph's life that's important for us when we're living between the dream. The first one is, is that we need to learn integrity. See, sometimes when we think we're supposed to be somewhere and God is leading us, the first thing that we begin to do is throw in the towel. Yeah, I was living for you, God. Things didn't go the way that I wanted, and now I'm going to do what I want. And see, we might expect Joseph to live this way. He had every right to be bitter towards his family. I mean, his siblings sold him into slavery. If that's not a reason to be mad, I don't know what is. And he could have been really mad at God, too. God, I thought you were this. Why did you let this happen to me? And yet we see no hint of this. Joseph works hard and does what's expected of him. So much so that he continues to be promoted. Again, people don't promote you unless they see something different in the way that you're living than the rest of the people there. Joseph is living in a way where he is doing all of the things that are needed 
out of obedience. And even when it comes to work, the way that we work matters. When, when our employees or maybe the people who work under us look at us, they should see integrity that we are doing the things that we say. We are treating people the way that we would want to be treated if we were in charge. Integrity matters. Things are starting to look up for Joseph. And then everything changes. Potiphar's wife takes notice of him. And this is what we read. Potiphar's wife soon began to look at him lustfully. Come and sleep with me, she demanded, but Joseph refused. Look, he told her, my master trusts me with everything in his entire household. No one here has more authority than I do. He has held back nothing from me except for you because you are his wife. How could I do such a wicked thing? It would be a great sin against God. Joseph continues to show integrity. And it's not just in work, but it's in everything that he does and who he is. He knows what's right and wrong in the eyes of God, and he is willing to continue to do them even though he's overlooked. Despite the attempt to wear him down, he is obedient to God. And this kind of integrity is shown through testing. Again, one of the first things that we do when life begins to not go our way, and, and sometimes we start out good then too. Yes, life is hard right now. I know it is. I'm going to continue to do what is right. And then something else comes along. Integrity is a choice over and over and over again to do what God is calling us to do. We continue reading. She kept putting pressure on Joseph day after day, but he refused to sleep with her. And he kept out of her way as much as possible. One day, however, no one else was around when he went in to do his work. She came and grabbed him by his cloak, demanding, come on, sleep with me. Joseph tore himself away, but he left his cloak in her hand as he ran from the house. When she saw that she was holding his cloak and he had fled, she called out to her servants. Soon all the men came running. Look, she said, my husband has brought this Hebrew slave here to make fools of us. He came into my room to rape me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream, he ran outside and got away, but he left his cloak behind with me. She kept the cloak with her until her husband came home. Then she told him her story. That Hebrew slave you brought here into our house tried to come in and fool around with me. But when I screamed, he ran outside, leaving his cloak with me. Potiphar was furious when he heard his wife's story about how Joseph had treated her. So he took Joseph and threw him into prison, where the king's prisoners were held. And there he remained. At this point, you have to pause and be like, what is up with this? This isn't fair. Joseph is mistreated, and he's still doing the right thing. And yet now he's imprisoned on top of all this. And this tells us again that integrity is grown. It's small choices over and over and over again, and Joseph lived with an integrity. See, he didn't just begin to decide to follow God in these big decisions. It started a long time ago in the small decisions. And let me just pause today and say, Joseph also didn't have this modeled for him. Again, his dad lied and stole the birthright of his brother to get it. His older brother, again, takes advantage of his daughter-in-law. He sees dysfunction all around him. And so often, one of the mistakes and things that we choose when it comes to living between the dream is we like to make excuses and be like, well, my family is this, I'm going to be this today. You don't have to be those things. Our family of origin shapes us in a lot of ways, but it doesn't have to define us. 
Today there is restoration for those areas as well. And yet at the same time, where did integrity get Joseph? Prison. Today, sometimes doing the right thing isn't going to get you what you hope for. But see, the measuring stick isn't doing the right things to get financial gain or to get status or to get all of the things we often look to. It's to get Jesus. When we live in, with integrity, the gift is knowing more of God. And let me tell you today, that gift is greater than anything the world might send your way. Everything else is going to come and go. But Jesus is constant in every situation. Thrown into prison is a long way from where he said and God spoke to him in a dream. His brothers are going to bow down to him. He's sold into slavery and he's imprisoned. And as we talk about integrity, I just want to pause and say one thing today. And this is one of the first things that my youth pastor taught me when I was talking about possibly going into ministry and it is stuck with me to this day. Integrity matters. And integrity is a result of your character. Because your character is the depth of who you are. And scripture speaks to this idea over and over again, right? Our heart is the source of everything. And today in an age where we are so much about external things, our talents, our abilities, all of the things that we have to offer, God cares about who we are. And he shared this image. It's that of... An iceberg, and what this means is this. An iceberg, if you only saw the top part of the iceberg, you would not be afraid of it. And that's why the Titanic sank. All they saw was the top, and they forgot about the fact that below the surface is actually 90% of the iceberg. 10% of who we are is our talents and our abilities and all of the things that people see. But the 90% is who we are that nobody sees. And let me tell you, your talents and abilities are not going to be what sinks the ship. It's what's under the water. And that's your integrity. And that's your character. And you build that by knowing Jesus. And you build that by making the right decisions over and over and over again with the guidance of the Holy Spirit and God in your life. And this is the other thing. Culture tells you the 10% is what matters. Neglect everything else. Following Jesus is different. He says, care about the 90% and I'll take care of the 10%. Today, wherever you may be in the room, do not neglect your character. Your talents will get you somewhere. Integrity keeps you there. And again, as we read the story of Joseph, it may not mean that life goes exactly how you think it's going to, but it's going to be who is with you in the midst of all of it. And here's the reality. When life is good, everyone focuses on the top part. When life gets hard and trials come, the 90% is what comes out. When life gets hard, when financial burdens hit, when relational tensions hit, when all of these different things begin swirling in our life, you cannot hide behind your talents anymore. Your character shows. For Joseph, in every moment where the pressure was on, it came out more and more that he was obedient to God. All right. Side note over. With that, we moved to the next portion of Genesis. I'm going to summarize some of it um, because when I put all of it in my notes, my, it was 15 pages long, and I was like, we might be here a while. So I'll summarize a little bit. So God is with Joseph in prison, 
And we see the pattern begin to happen. The same way Joseph became um, favored by Potiphar, Joseph actually gains favor with the prison warden. And he is put in charge of all of the prisoners and everything that happens in the prison. Again, he's in prison. He's still living with integrity, so much so the warden looks at him and says, okay, I'm going to elevate you. Pharaoh's chief cupbearer and chief baker offend Pharaoh, and so they're thrown into prison, and they are assigned to Joseph's care. Now, as Joseph is caring for them, one night they both have a dream. Joseph sees them the next morning, and they're distraught from the dream that they have. And so Joseph can tell something is wrong, which again shows his heart. He is willing to care for people. He's not bitter. He's not angry. He's willing to do the right thing and show love and grace, which is what we're called to do as followers of Jesus. And he asked them what their dream was about and what was wrong. So we read this in chapter 40, verse 9. It says, so the chief cupbearer told Joseph his dream first. In my dream, he said, I saw a grapevine in front of me. The vine had three branches that began to bud and blossom, and soon it produced clusters of ripe grapes. I was holding Pharaoh's wine cup in my hand, so I took a cluster of grapes and squeezed the juice into the cup. Then I placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. This is what my dream means, Joseph said, or what the dream means. The three little branches represent three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift you up and restore you to your position as his chief cupbearer. And please remember me and do me a favor when things go well for you. Mention me to Pharaoh so he might let me out of this place, for I was kidnapped from my homeland, the land of the Hebrews, and now I'm here in prison, but I did nothing to deserve it. Again, Joseph understands this is unjust what's happening to him. It's not like he's just blind to the fact that bad things, he knows it, but he's still choosing to live with integrity. When the chief baker saw that Joseph had given the first dream such a positive interpretation, he said to Joseph, I had a dream too. In my dream, there were three baskets of white pastries stacked on my head. The top basket contained all kinds of pastries for Pharaoh, but the birds came and ate them from the basket on my head. This is what the dream means, Joseph told them. The three baskets also represent three days, but three days from now, Pharaoh will lift you up and impale your body on a pole. The birds will come and peck away at your flesh. Imagine having to deliver that message, right? Well, the first one, positive. That's awesome. Second one, rough. Pharaoh's birthday came three days later. He prepared a banquet for all his officials and staff. He summoned his chief cupbearer and chief baker to join the other officials. He restored the chief cupbearer to his former position so he could, again could hand Pharaoh his cup. But Pharaoh impaled the chief baker just as Joseph had predicted when he interpreted his dream. Pharaoh's cut chief cupbearer forgot all about Joseph, never giving him another thought. Joseph, he clearly has a gift to interpret dreams. He uses his gift for God. And where does it get him? Forgotten in a prison cell. And again, when it comes to integrity and the way that we live and we use our gifts for God, so much about how we have created modern Western American church is about being in front of people and using my 10% so that people can see me and say, good job. Again, it's character that matters. Joseph chooses to use his gifts for God where did it get him forgotten and in jail? He was never given a thought, and yet he continued to be obedient. Today, use your gifts for God. People may never see them. They may never notice, but continue to be obedient. Now, how many of us would give up here? I probably would have given up like three steps ago, you know? Sold into slavery, imprisoned, forgotten in prison. But Joseph continues to be obedient. We read... Two full years later, 
Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing on the bank of the Nile River. In his dream, he saw seven fat, healthy cows come up out of the river and begin grazing in the marsh grass. Then he saw seven more cows come down from behind the Nile, but these were scrawny and thin. These cows stood beside the fat cows on the riverbank. Then the scrawny, thin cows ate the seven healthy, fat cows. At this point in the dream, Pharaoh woke up. Think pretty reasonable. It's a crazy dream. But he fell asleep again and had a second dream. This time he saw seven heads of grain, plump and beautiful, growing on a single stalk. Then seven more heads of grain appeared, but these were shriveled and withered by the east wind. And these thin heads swallowed up the seven plump, well-formed heads. Then Pharaoh woke up again and realized it was a dream. Probably wondering at this point, what did I eat tonight? The next morning, Pharaoh was very disturbed by the dream. So he called for all the magicians and wise men of Egypt. When Pharaoh told them his dreams, not one of them could tell him what they meant. Finally, the king's chief cupbearer spoke up. Today I've been reminded of my failure, he told Pharaoh. Some time ago, you were angry with the chief baker and me, and you imprisoned us in the palace of the captain of the guard. One night, the chief baker and I each had a dream, and each dream had its own meeting. There was a young Hebrew man with us in prison who was a slave of the captain of the guard. We told him our dreams, and he told us what each of our dreams meant, and everything happened just as he predicted. I was restored to my position, and the chief baker was executed and impaled on a pole. Second thing we see in the story, one, Joseph lives with integrity. But second, Joseph learns dependence. We see this phrase repeated throughout Joseph's story, and it's this phrase, the Lord was with Joseph. And Joseph began to realize that more and more. Why could he live with integrity? Why could he continue to do the things and be obedient with God? Because he knew that God was with him. And here's a crazy thing. If God was with Joseph, how much more is he with us today? Because we know that when Jesus died and rose again, the temple curtain that kept the presence of God was torn open and it was released through all the world. And then when Jesus returns to heaven, he promises that the third part of God, the Holy Spirit, would come and dwell and live in us at all times. So if Joseph could live with that, how much more can we? The very name of Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. Today, the way that we live our life matters. And so often we worry about getting to the end of the restoration. And let's be honest. The, li- the in-between is painful. When I feel like God is leading me somewhere or I have a plan for my life and I'm trying to figure out what it is and yet I'm stuck in the in-between, it's not fun. But the thing that I'm learning more and more and more, see, it's not about the destination, but it's about who is with me on the journey. The very fact that God is with us is all that we need. Because here is the thing I'm learning more and more. I often get to where God is going, and by the time I get there, I really don't even care because I know more of who Jesus is from the in-between. And that is what I want. For you today, again, dependence on God is everything. He is with you. And we know it because God continues to keep opening doors over and over and over again for Joseph. Is it the way that Joseph would have picked? Definitely not. And yet God still was present and working and moving. And let me just pause and say this. Joseph had every reason again to be angry and bitter. The in-between can be so disheartening and difficult. But had his heart shifted from depending on God to bitterness and anger, he would have missed doors that God was opening. The same thing is true for us. 
As soon as our heart shifts from a place where God can move and speak to us and it shifts towards bitterness and anger, we miss what God is doing. Today, if you've gotten beaten down by the in-between, again, our prayer this year is that we would be people who live with passion for Jesus, that he would ignite something new in us. For that to happen, we have to deal with the anger and the bitterness, and we need to instead depend on God more. We close out the story, and Pharaoh, he sends for Joseph, and he's quickly brought from the prison, and Joseph's response here shows humility. He says, it's beyond my power to do this, but God will tell you what it means. Now let's contrast that to young Joseph. Look at this dream. You're going to bow down to me. To God has given me this gift, and I'm going to use it to glorify him. Pharaoh tells Joseph his dream, and Joseph responds, the seven healthy cows and the seven healthy heads of grain represent seven years of prosperity. But the seven thin cows and thin heads of grain represent seven years of famine. Pharaoh, as the leader of Egypt, is about to have seven years of incredible prosperity, followed by seven years of some of the worst famine that Egypt has ever seen. And we read this. Joseph is instructing, he says, Therefore, Pharaoh should find an intelligent and wise man and put him in charge of the entire land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh should appoint supervisors over the land and let them collect one-fifth of all the crops during the seven good years. He, get, he have them gather all the food produced in the good years that are just ahead and bring it to Pharaoh's storehouses. Store it away and guard it there so, we will, so there will be food in the cities. That way there will be enough to eat when the seven years of famine come to the land of Egypt. Otherwise, this famine will destroy the land. From here, Joseph is going to become that guy who leads Egypt through this. But the crazy thing is, again, Joseph understands where his gift comes from. And when he is telling Pharaoh these things, he is not the one who says, I should be that guy. But here's the crazy thing. The way he lived his life, his integrity, the reputation that he has, gets him to where God is calling him to be. Again, today, the way you live matters because when we take shortcuts... And we do things that we know are not obedient to God. We may miss the position that God has for us. God makes it happen. Joseph was now 30 years old. Again, 13 years this takes place. And he has come such a long way from the young dude we meet in chapter 37. His youthful arrogance has been replaced with humility. His youthful enthusiasm had grown into a mature wisdom. He was a man of integrity, and he was one who depended on God despite his circumstances. Looking back and reflecting on where God has brought us is important. Because we, get so, we often get so caught up in just the here and now and trying to survive and trying to figure out life. Sometimes it's important to step back and look. Pastor Dave and I talk about this all the time, and we heard about it from a pastor we often listen to his podcast. And he said, as I reflect in my life, He's like, in my 30s, I'm not the same as I was in my 20s. And I still struggle with some of the things I did in my 20s, but a little less. And as I've gotten to my 40s, I look back and I realize that from my 30s, I have grown. It's important for us to look back and see where we were and what God has done. It may be dreams from years ago. It may be getting through a really difficult season. It could just be moving forward in your faith. 
But today I just want to remind you, God is a God of restoration. He is somebody who is working and moving. And it often didn't look how Joseph wanted it to be, but he still got to where God was leading him to be. His brothers would bow down to him when they came and got food. And God fulfilled the dream that he gave him. It didn't look anything like he thought. But Joseph's character and his dependence on God was completely transformed and changed. All right. Now, we have global worker Samantha Copeland here today with us. Um, and it's crazy how God works and moves. So last week she spoke at Lifetree, which is one of our parent churches. Um, and so I still get their emails, and I saw that she spoke there last weekend, so I was like, oh, let me check this out and see. Um, and as I did, she shared her story, and it just so happens, um, as my pastor always said, that it lines up perfectly with what we're talking about today. And so what we're going to do, um, there's a video that kind of talks through her story, and then I'm just going to have her come up and do a short little type interview thing, um, but check out this video. grew up in an atheist slash agnostic household taught to believe more in the ideas of science rather than this idea of there actually being a God. I began to experience both physical and verbal abuse by my dad within the home. And when the abuse would start, I would run to my room crying and bawling my eyes out and saying, you know, I was never taught to pray. But it was in that space where I would say, God, if you're there, if you even exist, please just get me out of where I'm at. And I prayed that prayer for roughly seven years off and on. And, you know, I really didn't believe that there was a God that heard me, that heard or saw me in the abuse that I was experiencing. And around high school at the age of 16, I had two of my friends invite me to a place called Element Church out in Winsville, Missouri. You know, and I had every perception or idea of what I thought Christians were was completely blown out of the water. And I was surrounded by people that genuinely pursued God and loved on people. And I just wanted more of that. The Lord softened my heart and I ended up accepting Christ when I was 16 years old and I felt though I had finally been made whole. And through my decision to follow Christ, my mom decided to do the same. And we clearly saw miracles and, and transformation happen within the both of us. Um, and even while this was taking place, there unfortunately was a lot of other things going on in the background. being called down to the principal's office and not knowing why I was there, what I was being called down for. But my principal just looked at me and it was complete silence. 
And she was like, Sam, I don't know how to tell you this, but your house is currently on fire. Your mom is out of town and your brother is on a field trip. But I want to let you know that we are here for you in whatever way we can be. And in that moment, I didn't know how to process the fact that there was something that was once there is now completely gone the next minute. And so to make a long story short, what had ended up happening is my dad in his mental illness and his confusion decided to take a gallon of gasoline. He poured it throughout the entire house. He lit a match and then drove all the way to Columbia, Missouri, not even knowing where he was going. And then when he got there, he tried to take his own life. He would later be tried for his case of arson and placed in a mental institution where he would be diagnosed as bipolar and schizophrenic. And even with all of this going on in this turmoil, that didn't stop God from showing up. I remember the fire department telling me that out of every single room in the home, my room was burned the worst. And so going into my bedroom, all the books, all the shelving was just, you know, it was completely gone. But I remember just going to my nightstand in my bedroom and there was my Bible and my box of scripture cards completely untouched. It was through it and its leaders that I was loved, affirmed, and truly cared for. My relationship with God was strengthened and rooted during this time, and I began to realize that I was called to ministry in some way. I then went to Southeastern University for my undergrad. I felt called to inner city ministry, and God guided me to Camden and to Philadelphia. I now work as a case manager for child services because whether it's from abuse, abandonment, or trauma, I don't want anyone that I meet to have to feel the same way that I once did. And God has been so faithful to me. He has brought life where there should only be death and sadness. And I've also forgiven my dad. He has since given his life to the Lord and he has a Bible where he's at. The Lord had to really work on me uh, and heal me from a lot of different things, but I can sit here and say that I am also healed from a lot of anxiety and depression and PTSD because I chose to forgive my dad. And through that, the Lord was able to work in more places within my own heart that I had been held captive to. I've had to work to forgive myself and to truly believe what the Lord says about me. I've learned to be obedient to what God has called me to do because His ways are always better than mine. So I want to say this. I don't know what everyone's story is, what you came in here with, where you come from, or what you've had to walk through. But I do know this. 
at any point you can say to the enemy the very words of Joseph. You meant this for bad, but God meant this for good, for the saving of many lives. So I just want to say, Sam, thank you for your vulnerability and sharing that. Um, and I'll say this in a little bit, but God's story of restoration in our lives is a gift to the body of Christ because some of us may still be in that season, but you sharing that brings encouragement. So I just want to invite you up real fast. Um, and I just want to ask you, um, so you've heard a little bit of where we are and your story. What would you tell people who might be living between the dream right now? Yeah, I would say for starters that restoration did not happen overnight. I, I, I mentioned the fact that I realized that me forgiving my dad opened up oh so many doors. Like I dealt with depression, anxiety, bitterness, anger, and it was like the minute I forgave him, all of like I was completely set free. So, but I would say it wasn't overnight, right? I needed community. I needed you know, believers, I needed therapy in different ways, right? And that took time. Um, but I invited God into that. So I would say if you are in between, you know, you're in the in between of like one, you know, season and you want to get to the next. Um, I mean, the first thing I would say is sometimes we're waiting for God to act, you know, but there's also times where the Lord's just asking us to pray, you know, to invite him into those spaces so that healing can take place. Um, and the other thing I wanted to say is for us, if you are praying, if you are, you know, really inviting him into that season and where you're at and you're just waiting for that breakthrough, I would say to also pray, continue to pray and watch, uh, with expectancy, um, but also be prepared for unexpected answers. You know, the Lord may answer your prayer, but it may not look in the way that you, um, had intended or wanted, but you know, we, He's so good, you know, and however he works. And so just surrendering that to him, I think, is the biggest thing. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that. And so I just want to invite the team up as we close today. Um, and if you're here and maybe you're not quite sure where you are in terms of following Jesus, I just want to say this. A lot of times we sarcastically say we're living the dream. And it comes from a place of dying inside or having no hope. Today, Jesus is hope. We can look to, for restoration. Despite the way that our life looks, nothing is beyond the restoration of Jesus. How do I know that? He came as a human. He lived the perfect life. And he died in our place on the cross. He let the very people that he create kill him. But the story doesn't end there. He conquered death. And if Jesus can conquer death, then anything that I'm facing, he can work and he can move in. And for those of us who do follow Jesus, just some closing thoughts to the series today. Again, your response to the trials that life throws at you reveals what's really going on in your heart. If when you hit a bad day or a bad season, the first thing that comes out is anger and bitterness and, and hurting other people, perhaps it's time again to evaluate and to look at the depths of our heart. And today and this week, Maybe begin to do what Sam said and invite God to bring healing to those areas. When the 90% that people don't see comes out, does it reveal Jesus or does it reveal me? And the thing that I'm continuing to hope that as I get into my 40s and I look back at my 30s, I can say that in the moments of pressure, 
when people look at me, they can say more and more that they see Jesus and not me. Because I am angry. I am mean. I keep record of right and wrong. But as we talked about last week, love is none of those things. And if I want to model Jesus and I want people to see him, then I need him to work and move in my life. And when we step into the moments where we have a choice, am I going to trust God in the season of in-between or am I going to force my own way or take it into my own hands? Today, I want you to know you can trust God. And the alternative is dealing with it in your own strength. And for me, that often makes a much bigger mess of things. Today, where is your dependence? And not hypothetically, right? We say confessionally and functionally, like we often confessionally in our head believe, yes, when things get hard, I trust in Jesus. But then functionally, my actions say the opposite. Today, where do you actually turn to in these moments? I like to have control of things. And so when life feels out of control, I make more color charted schedules and things so I can feel like I'm still in control because I'm learning its dependence in Jesus. And again, I love how this story comes full circle as God brings restoration to Joseph and his family. We read this. It says, Joseph replied, don't be afraid of me. Am I God that I can punish you? Again, the humility that he learns. This is his moment for vengeance. Am I God that I can punish you? You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. No, don't be afraid. I will continue to take care of you and your children so you reassured them by speaking kindly to them. Church, today be reminded that God is a God of restoration. And I think this is the source of Joseph's humility, and I'm learning it's more and more of mine. Every day, I need restoration back to my heavenly Father. Every day, I choose my own will, my own wants, my own desires over his. And so if that's in me, then who am I to treat anybody any differently because I'm the same? Every day, I need reconciliation and restoration to my Father, and he gives it to me through Jesus. But then just a couple other postures in this one. If we need restoration and it needs to be brought into the light for restoration to come. If you never talk about the things that are going on in your heart, you will never get restoration. Scripture says, right, in the darkness, things can stay hidden. But in the light, truth is revealed and we find healing. Today, if you're in a season where you need restoration, it's time to talk about it community, people who will come alongside of you and help you and point you to truth. Our posture in all of this matters, humility, as we are the people who are helping people be restored. Remember, I am one decision away from being that person, so who am I to have any kind of judgment towards them? My goal is to love them and to help them be more of who Jesus has called them to be. And the last one is this. Your story of restoration, again, is a gift to the body of Christ. The same way Joseph being placed in the second spot in Egypt brought God's nation forward and unveiled God's plan, 
your story of restoration may be what somebody else needs to step into the fullness of what God has for them and who knows the kingdom impact that can happen when somebody is where they're meant to be. Your story matters. And we pray in faith for you that God will do this in your life. Again, we believe confidently that the gospel is not just some story that we read to feel good about things, but it's a powerful, transformative story that still changes lives today. And so today, if you're in that season, I want to encourage you, God is a restoring God. And as we just have a moment to respond, we'll have some of our prayer team over to the side and in the back, we would love to pray with you. And again, maybe begin this posture of prayer and inviting God to bring restoration But maybe you're here today and you just have something going on in your life, a financial need, a relationship struggle. We would love to pray with you as well still. Then lastly, uh, if you're not in for that, I just want to invite you to stand just as we kind of close in worship and just a prayer of, of trusting God through whatever season we're in.